Acts 28. We're going to be in verses 1 through 16. 1 through 16. After we brought after we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and it was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up and suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us, entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when he, this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria, with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprung up. And on the second day, we came to Petulia. There, we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier that guarded him. Amen. This is the reading of God's word. Amen. We believe it, don't we? Amen. Amen. That's We are a church that uh, preaches and teaches the word of God. And we are thankful um, for God's word because it has the ability to change and transform our lives. And I really hope that, that you get that uh, this evening. I don't know that you would know this, and uh, I'll just do a little bit of a, kind of an audible at the moment. Um, but it's family service weekend. Did you know that? You probably didn't know that. But it is. It's family service weekend. And I have three of my kids. My three kids are here. Many of you might have seen them, but might not have met them before. Let's see if I can do this real quick. Harper, Finn, and Isla, do you guys want to come up and say hi to everybody real quick? <laughs> Leah's looking at me like, are you crazy? All right, come here quick. Just come say hi. I just figure it's family service, so I'll just introduce you to my, my kiddos. Come on. Get up here. Hi. All right. 
So this is Isla and Harper and Finn. So you might get to see them around. But I figure sometimes, like my poor wife, I feel like she's like a single mother sometimes because, you know, I'm doing important pastor work, right? That's the way that it would seem at least. Um, but I do actually have a family, believe it or not. And this is my family. And so Leah's back there. I won't make her come up because she would kill me if I did that. But it's family service. I thought I'd, I'd at least let you see uh, and be introduced to my family. So look at this one. Look at the baby, right? Oh, yeah. Have some more. Oh, my goodness. All right. Go back with mom quick. Go get mom. Trying to kill me, Mark. <laughs> they're pretty cute, right? They look like their mom. Anyway. All right. I just, wanted, I just wanted to do that because they're going to be crazy in the service. And so they're going to have to sneak out at some point. I'm sure of it. They've had a crazy day. So, um, but I've got a family too. And so if you have a family, I get it. I understand. It's, it's, it's tough work raising a family, right? So and we're, we're a family here at church, and uh, we want to encourage you and your families, and hopefully you can be encouraged this evening. But we are. We're picking up uh, right where we left off last week in the book of Acts. Thank you, Mike. How many of you really appreciate Mike? I know I do. Can we get up for Mike? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> he helps organize our Saturday evenings, and he's just like the man. He's the man. So thankful for you, Mike. And uh, just excited to pick up where we left off last week. This is an action-packed uh, few verses that we're reading here. We've made it to Acts chapter 28. Can you believe it? We are firmly in the home stretch this week, and I think we have one more message. Pastor Johnny um, is going to be speaking that message and closing out, yeah, the Acts series for us. And so we're uh, looking forward to that, but we're almost there. So hang tight. You thought we were going to make it through all of 28 tonight, didn't you? Nah, we had to break it up into two more parts. So uh, Acts 28 verses 1 through 16, uh, picking up where Pastor Tim left us off. And we find, what we find is Paul shipwrecked on the shores of a remote island. They get to the island and they have no clue where they are. They are hundreds of miles off course from where they're supposed to be. And they, by God's grace, his providence, end up on Malta. They don't know that, but they avoided, they avoided going uh, to the north of Africa where a lot of ships actually would end up in storms like this. And so somehow... By God's grace, they ended up in Malta. And so they end up on this remote island, but it doesn't take them long before the crew discovers that they are on the island of Malta. I think we've got a picture here. So we got, oh, wait for it. We got a picture of Malta. It gives you a picture of like what it would be like if, uh, no, no slides, not working. Okay, no big deal. Well, if you want to Google Malta on your phone, don't do it while I'm preaching. But if you want to Google Malta on your, your phone, it's a virtual paradise. Like, it is beautiful. Like, if you were shipwrecked on uh, the island of Malta, that's exactly where you would want to be shipwrecked. Perhaps not under the circumstances or the conditions that they were. It was still pretty stormy, but it's a beautiful, beautiful, pristine location. It's just south uh, of Italy. And so if you can imagine the boot of Italy, right off of the tip of the boot of Italy is where you're going to find uh, Malta. So that's where they are shipwrecked. And as we look at this passage, it, it might just seem on the surface like there's just these, uh, these action-packed bits, but how does that really apply to my life? Like, I'm not going to be bit by a snake anytime soon, at least I hope, right? So if I'm not going to be bit by a snake, how does this apply to me? What is it that I can learn from this story, uh, this encounter that Paul has, apply it to my life so that way we can continue to be witnesses for God, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. So what we're going to do is we're going to look more closely at how Paul 
uh, this character that we've been studying and looking at in uh, the second half of the book of Acts. We're going to look at how he conducts himself in this story and learn from his example. But something I think we need to remember, and I'm gonna, you're going to have a challenge doing this because I have too, you have to really keep in mind that Paul is just a man. He is just a man. I know we read these stories of Paul and it feels like, ah, I don't compare to Paul. And, uh, it, but you have to understand, Paul is just a man who experiences fear and experiences discouragement, much like you and I. We have the luxury of reading ahead so we know how it ends. But Paul lived his life the same way that we live ours, one day at a time. And so he had no idea what was waiting for him around the corner, but he had a promise from God. He had a vision for his life. He had a call on his life, and he knew he was going to take the gospel to Rome. He just didn't know the conditions in which he was going to get there. And because of that, Paul, like you and I, was prone to discouragement and prone to fear. And if I had to guess, there are many of you coming to church this evening who struggle with those same things. There's a situation that you're facing right now that you're not sure how you're going to come out on the other side of this. There's something that you're going through in your story where you're afraid, where you're anxious, where you feel discouraged, where you feel beat down by the storms of life. Paul can relate to you and you are in good company um, as you think about the person of Paul. So if you recall from last week's message, Paul, who is now under arrest, aboard a ship that's been commandeered by a Roman centurion named Julius. That's what they did, right? They would actually commandeer property. Uh, the Romans, if they needed it, if a Roman centurion needed something from you, he could just take it because it was official government business. And so that's what they did. As they set sail for Rome, Paul's a prisoner. They commandeer uh, this ship. And as they travel, despite Paul's warnings, trying to prevent them from sailing in the open seas at a dangerous time in the year, uh, despite Paul telling them to stop, sure enough, they press on, they move forward. I mean, after all, what does Paul know? He's not a sailor, right? The, the captain of the ship knows what's best. And so they decide to keep pressing on, moving forward. And what do you, what do you figure? They encounter a storm along the way much like you and I encounter storms in our lives, maybe not to this scale, but certainly storms that we encounter on a weekly basis or throughout our lives, we all can relate to life's storms. And Pastor Tim shared with us that when we go through storms, we can't go through storms alone, right? We can't do it. We can't go through storms alone. We need one another. We need the body of Christ. Storms may surprise us, but they never, thank God, they never surprise God. God has a purpose for our storms, and we should be on the lookout for opportunities in the midst of our storm to be a witness and to testify of God's faithfulness to us. If you remember last week, Pastor Tim taught us that faith in God does not remove our responsibility that we still have to take responsibility for our actions. And finally, and most importantly, if you remember as they were, the ship was breaking up, right? What did they do? They dropped the anchors to make the ship lighter so that they could get in closer to land. Hopefully they wouldn't scrape the bottom. They end up hitting a reef. They run uh, the ship aground, right? But they dropped those anchors so that they could lighten the ship. But there is one anchor in our lives that will never be cut away. That is the anchor of Christ Jesus, that we can be anchored in him, amen? 
I don't know if you realize this, but in a news article earlier this week, I saw a man who is now being referred to as the ketchup boat guy. Did you hear about this? The ketchup boat guy. I had a picture. I'm sorry, Larry. That's my fault. <laughs> uh, his name, he, they're calling him the ketchup boat guy. And this, just this past week, they found this guy who survived, you ready for this? 24 days in the open sea, living off of a mixture of ketchup, various spices, and rainwater. His boat, the engine in his boat, he's in the Caribbean Sea, the engine in his boat died, he was taken out to the open seas, and 24 days later, he's eating ketchup mixed with rainwater and spices. So Heinz Ketchup sponsored him, and now they're trying to buy him another boat. I think they could probably do a little better for him than that, right? And if you remember, at the end of last year, there was a man who went overboard on a cruise ship and was found 20 hours later treading water. They were able to find him. The Coast Guard was able to find this man. Like, talk about a needle in a haystack, right? This guy is in the middle of the ocean. I couldn't tread water for 30 seconds. You know what I mean? I would drown. 20 hours later, he's found treading water. And I have to be honest, this is like one of my biggest fears. I often recall uh, watching episodes of I Survived on the Discovery Channel, and I was left terrified at the prospect of, of being stuck in the middle of the ocean. And while this is completely unfounded, this fear, I mean, how is that going to happen? I mean, I don't know. I don't plan on going deep sea fishing anytime soon. Although my fear is unfounded, this actually wasn't uncommon during the time of Paul. While sailing was typical, there was a relationship people had between themselves and the ocean. It was based on fear and reverence, and people often linked successful travel of the ocean to the open seas with favor from gods, from the gods, right? That if they had successful travels, they must have favor uh, on their lives from the gods. And unsuccessful travel was linked to judgment, that they didn't escape judgment of the gods. And when you traveled great distances by sea, you often placed your life in the hands of the gods. This was the relationship of the people of Paul's day to the ocean. So you have to imagine with me that after surviving a, a typhoon, a hurricane, a nor'easter, and washing up on the shores of an island, it must have felt like they narrowly avoided judgment from the gods. They escaped with their lives, with their lives intact. And as they wash up on the shores of this uh, island in the middle of nowhere, it says in verse 2, of your Bibles in, in Acts chapter 28, that the native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. So here Luke notes the unusual kindness of the native people on this island. I don't know if you've ever been shipwrecked before. I hope that you've not been shipwrecked. But if, you've had, if you have and you washed up on the shores of an island, you'd be happy, like Paul and the crew members, to find that the people who lived there were friendly. But where do you find Paul? Where's Paul at? Resting? You would think, right? Resting on the beach? Recuperating? Where do you find Paul after having not eaten for two weeks in the open sea? After going through a storm, where do you find Paul. It says, when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks, Paul was serving. 
He was still serving. He was still being used of God to serve the people who, who were his captors. They arrested him and he was serving them and they get to see on display in the life of Paul the love of God as he's serving his arresting officer. And so once again, we're confronted with the humility of Paul. Paul, who saved the lives of everyone aboard the ship, is found doing the menial work of gathering firewood. And in doing so, verse 3 says that a viper, anybody have a fear of snakes? Anybody have a real problem with snakes? Yeah, all right. Garden snake, it could be like one of those, I will scream. I, will, I, would, ap- I would actually scream. I would. I would probably, if it was like found, like I've heard people find snakes in their home, you can burn it down, buy a new one. You know what I mean? We don't need that home anymore. And so a viper came out because of the heat and fastened onto his hand. And now is where we want to start playing, paying close attention to what happens next. It says, when the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. And it's here where we learn a valuable lesson. God is bigger than your circumstances. Did you catch it? Did you see what happened? I told you earlier, we need to pay close attention. And it's here that we actually learn a valuable lesson. That the people that Paul encounters on this remote island have developed a sense, have a well-developed sense of right and wrong. They have a sense of morality. Never having heard the gospel before. Never having been introduced to the God of the Bible. They have a sense of what is right and what is wrong. Where does that come from? Paul tells us in Romans chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves. Even though, even though they do not have the law, they show that, they ha- that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness. And their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. The law of God has been written on our hearts so that we have an understanding of what is right from wrong, even if we don't know God. And the people on the island of Malta assume That even though Paul escaped from the sea, justice hasn't been served. Interestingly, if you look at your Bibles, the word justice may appear as capitalized. It might have a capital J there. It should have a capital J, and that's not a typo. In this instance, they're actually referring to, they're not referring to the word justice. They're referring to the goddess justice or lady justice as we might refer to her. Paul might have escaped the sea, but he hasn't escaped the long arm of the law. But how Paul responds tells us everything that we need to know. Unaware that he's being observed, right? They're watching him. He's picking up fire. The natives are watching him. This snake comes out, latches onto his hand. He doesn't even know that they're watching him, but they are. They're observing Paul, and so unaware that he's being observed, verse 5 says, 
He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. Now look how, look how fickle their beliefs are as it says that they were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a God. So they went from saying that this man is being judged by the gods to now seeing that he didn't die after being bitten by a snake. And within just a, a few minutes, I don't know, a half hour, an hour, now they're saying that this man is a God. So quickly, they're able to change their beliefs. Now, Paul has three reasons to be confident at this moment. First, Jesus told him that he would go to Rome. Acts chapter 23, verse 11. Secondly, an angel appeared on the ship to reassure him that no harm would come to him or anyone aboard. Acts 27, 23. But the third reason for Paul's confidence is the most important reason of all. He did not need to fear justice because he had been completely justified by Jesus. How many of us walk around with the sense that the reason we experience challenges in life is because God is judging us? At least I know I've done that. Whenever we receive bad news, we're tempted to question God. God, what did I do to deserve this? We've all done that, haven't we? We've gone through life's moments and struggles and challenges, and we just immediately assume like those on Malta, the natives on Malta, that, man, I must have been a bad boy for God to punish me this way. That's not Paul's thinking, though. That's not in Paul's mind. Paul doesn't have this concern anymore. He can go through life without fearing God's judgment because he knows that Jesus has paid his debt in full. And if you walk around with the knowledge of your justification close to your heart, if you can know that God is not judging you and punishing you every time life doesn't go your way, whenever you experience life's difficulties, you no longer need to live in fear of God. So many of us are living in fear of God, thinking that if we make one wrong move, God is gonna step on us like a bug. We're afraid of God's judgment, and I'm telling you that this is a game changer. The next time a storm suddenly and surprisingly appears on the horizon and fear begins to cloud your mind, those thoughts can be met with the goodness of the gospel and in faith, like Paul, shook off the snake, we can shake off those thoughts. This is a process that unfortunately is only learned through experience, but once we can grasp our justification, our circumstances no longer need to be self-focused, right? Our circumstances no longer need to have us at the center. No longer do we need to be so selfish in our view of ourselves, thinking that we did something wrong to put ourselves out of God's grace. God's good grace. Instead, the moments of life's difficulty become an opportunity. And we realize that God is, in fact, bigger than our circumstances. God is bigger than our challenges. He's not judging you. He's putting you in a situation where you can trust in him so that he might use you 
to display hope to a dark and dying world. That you should go through life with a non-anxious presence. That you should be able to walk through life in a way where wherever you face difficulty, the world can see that you have this peace about you. That's not me all of the time. But that is the hope that we have in Christ. That we have been justified before God. That when he sees us, he sees his son. That Jesus has already taken the penalty of our sin and shame and bore them on the cross. And we can walk through life confidently, looking at the challenges of our lives as opportunities for God to be glorified in our story. So now the natives think that he is a God, don't they? And we've already seen this happen to Paul and Barnabas in Acts 14. And Paul was quick to correct their understanding. And there's no, room, there's a, no reason to assume that he didn't do the same thing here in this story. As a matter of fact, after the shipwreck and being bitten by a snake, Paul is right back to business as usual. He's right back to doing what God had called him to do, being used of God to spread the gospel. We find in the following verses... Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius. What a name. That's a cool name, right? It's a cool title. Who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. With less detail, Luke assumes that as we've been going through Acts for 60-something weeks, that we know how this story goes, don't we? We know exactly what it is that Paul is up to. Paul is doing what he does best. Luke doesn't even take time to tell us if he shared the gospel or if anyone was saved, but we're left to our own imagination. It would appear, however, that this final detour wasn't so random after all. Neither was it the judgment of the gods. Instead, it was a divine appointment made by God for Paul to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, even the most remote locations. Paul had a date with Malta. He had a job to do. And before Paul was to arrive in Rome, God had him take a layover in Malta to plant the seeds of the gospel so that a church could be formed and could grow. God used this shipwreck and this snakebite to make a way for Paul to share his faith in the gospel message so that others might know Christ. Perhaps God is doing the same thing in your story. Perhaps if we can for a second just get our eyes off of ourselves and ask God how he might use us and the difficulty of what we're going through to be a testimony to a world that needs hope, just maybe we could see God use us the same way he used Paul to spread the gospel, to see the seeds of the gospel grow. This is also a picture of how, uh, how believers should be regarded by non-believers. It says that they also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. 
In this instance, you see this example of of believers and non-believers finding common ground. This isn't always the case, but we're encouraged by Paul's example to do good to all. Could you imagine what this must have done to that Roman soldier? He's on a mission to get Paul all the way across the Mediterranean Sea, and he's had nothing to do with it. As a matter of fact, he's shipwrecked a boat because he didn't take Paul's advice, right? He has no way to get from Malta to Rome. And here Paul is captaining the ship under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Julius is just sitting back thinking, all right, Paul, I'm following you. I'm following you because clearly you have God's favor on your life. And they can see displayed before their very eyes that the God whom Paul proclaims is the only one true and real God. Luke tells us, after three months, we set sail in another ship, doesn't say another ship, but in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria. This is actually a similar ship to the one that they were previously on, except this ship has the twin gods as a figurehead. This would have been Pollux and Castor. And it says that we stayed there for three days after uh, they, put into, uh, they were putting in at Syracuse. We stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind, wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Potioli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. Luke gives us this ironic detail that the ship that they were boarding had these twin gods of Castor and Pollux, who were the sons of Zeus to safeguard them on their travels, when in fact everybody on board knew that it had nothing to do with their gods, it had everything to do with Paul's God, who caused them to arrive safely on the shores of Rome. And here we are, finally, Paul made it. His goal and the aim of his ministry, after a long and arduous journey, Paul arrives in Rome. And what does he find? Brothers, believers, and members of the household of God. It's here that we learn another important lesson. The gospel story is bigger than your story. Paul arrives in Rome, sort of. They are in the Bay of Naples in a place called Puttioli, which is 140 miles south of Rome. And they'll need to travel on foot for the final leg of the journey. Regardless and much to his delight, the gospel traveled there much more quickly than he did. Of course, he knew this because he would have already written a letter to the church in Rome. He didn't plant this church though, did he? And so he writes this letter to Rome, and there's so many reasons why Paul wrote this letter, the the, the letter uh, Romans to the church in Rome. But one of the reasons that he writes this letter is actually for missionary support. He got his eyes set on Rome, right? But he's not done there. He wants missionary support so that way he can actually get to Spain, And Paul is on his way to Rome and he's heading to this church and he has written this letter to them and he arrives uh, on the shores of Rome, if you will. And what does he find? Brothers in Christ. Luke gives us further detail when he says, and the brothers there 
when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius, which is about 43 miles outside of Rome, and three taverns to meet us, which is about 31 miles outside of Rome. He arrives at Puteoli, he finds believers, he travels along the Appian Way, it's the name of the road that's the straightest and longest road towards Rome. 43 miles out, he's greeted by another group of believers. 30 miles out, he's greeted by another group of believers. It's incredible. It's like Paul is being welcomed by the church. And it's a beautiful sight. But we have to realize, but we have not realized that Paul is actually not the main character of the story. As fascinating of a character as Paul is, and as much as we should look to him as an example, Paul's job as an apostle is nearing its end. The apostles were tasked with laying the church's foundation. And we followed Paul closely as he went from city to city and planted churches. But now the gospel has made it to Rome. You may have heard the saying that all roads lead to Rome. Well, consequently, Rome leads to all places. And the gospel is now well on its way to reaching the ends of the earth. But not yet. Not yet. Paul is only one character in the story of God's redemptive plan. He's an important character, but he's only one character. You and I are included in this story as well. Granted, we may not live life the way that Paul lived. I've been challenged by that this whole time we've been going through this series. Man, God, how can I live that way? How could I live the way that Paul lived? And we may not have the call on our life that Paul had on his life, but hopefully we've been challenged by him. Maybe no one will write books about us. Nevertheless, we share in the same mission of Paul to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And for us to complete the mission that you and I have been called to, there are a few things that we need to keep in mind for our journey ahead. Number one is that God is bigger than your circumstances. Christian brother and sister, I have no doubt that you struggle. I know you do. I know that you struggle. I know that you have doubts. I know that there are some days where you feel like throwing in the towel. Don't let your struggle end with you. Like Paul, who got discouraged and afraid, remind yourself of your position before God. You stand fully justified before him. And if you allow him to lift your head and get your eyes off of yourself, he will use you. Like Paul who shook off the snake from his hands, you can shake off even the threat of death without fear of judgment. And secondly, remember the gospel is bigger than you. These can be difficult and sobering words because I know that you have plans for your life, great plans. But let these words comfort you because they are good news. The gospel is bigger than you because the gospel is not about you. The gospel is about a man named Jesus who came to the world that he created to redeem it for the glory of his Father. The gospel is not about me, 
but it includes me. I am not the main character in the story, but I have a part to play. Thank God it's not about me, because if it was, I would not be saved from the storm. And if I were bitten by a snake, I would surely swell up and die. The gospel is about Jesus, Colossians 1, 19 through 20. For in him, all the fullness of God was, dwell, uh, was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The gospel story is bigger than you because the gospel is about Jesus Christ. And if it's about him, and if he's made promises to you, you can be certain and you can be guaranteed that God is gonna use you. You can be certain and you can be guaranteed because it's not your plans, it's God's plan, amen? The key to Paul's success was knowing that he was justified by Jesus and that his life did not belong to him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, God. God, I thank you for your word. God, I have no doubt that there are those of us this evening who are going through the difficulties of life. And God, it is so easy to keep our eyes focused on ourselves. But God, if we would just lift our eyes to you, God, we know that you could use our circumstance for your glory. God, I pray that you would help us to know that you are bigger than our circumstances. And God, I pray that you would help us to know that the gospel story is bigger than our story. But God, you've included us in that story. You've invited us in. God, you've saved us and you've given us a purpose that like Paul, we might be a disciple who makes disciples, that we might take the gospel to the very ends of the earth. God, I pray that we would lovingly be encouraged by your word this evening to stop being so focused on ourselves and to keep our eyes fixed on you. God, we ask your blessing upon your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.